Today, I'm really excited to be continuing in our series in Caleb, the life of Caleb, by faith, the life of Caleb. And Numbers 14, 24. So a couple of weeks ago, I was in chapters 13 and 14 of Numbers. Numbers 14, 24 says this about Caleb. This is a man full of courage, of faith, and that I want us to learn from. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So two weeks ago, some of you won't have been here, I'll just give a very super fast recap. The people of God are looking over at the promised land. They've come to the promised land, they've come through the Red Sea, they've seen the miracles, and they're looking in. It's been about two years getting to that point. They're looking in. Moses gets 12 spies together, one from each of the tribes, and he sends them into the land to scout it out, to see what's going on. 10 of those spies come back going, it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm absolutely terrified. There are giants in the land. Really, that, that, that's the message. They keep coming back to giants. There are giants. Only Joshua and Caleb come, come back saying, there are giants in the land. In fact, it's awesome. It is time to go. Let's take the land. They are full of faith and courage. But what happens is the people of God disobey in this moment. And the, for the next 40, 45 years, they then spend wandering around the wilderness because this moment they don't take it. God's like, I've opened the door, go into the land. And they go, no, we are terrified. We cannot go in. And they, they forget everything that the Lord has done. And so I talked about last week, a couple of weeks ago, sorry, the grasshopper mindset. There's this verse in chapter 13, verse 33, and it talks about... Um, that they felt like grasshoppers and that other people were thinking that they were grasshoppers as well. And it's just this idea that we're tiny, we're insignificant, we're nothing, and everything else is so big. So what I talked about the grasshopper mindset, and I said there's a key thing to it is that it forgets. It just forgets. It forgets our identity, forgets what God's put in us, it forgets God's provision, all that he's done in the past, and it forgets God's faithfulness. It forgets all of those things. But then I went on to speak about, okay, that's the grasshopper mindset, but we are called into, by faith, a mindset of courage. That's what the Lord has for us. As a people, I spoke to the leaders a number a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, this is a time where as the church, we've got to find our voice, that we've got to step forward. So we've come out of COVID. It has been hard in all places. It's been hard in society, but actually we've been given a message of hope, of salvation, of freedom. This is a moment where the church needs to be shouting. It's like, we've got this incredible message. We don't need to come. So for us as a church, I've got that over us. It's like, we've got to find our voice and we've got to step forwards. And that's partly why I'm speaking about faith and this whole story of Caleb. Because in Caleb, we see a man of faith and a man of courage. And so if last week, a couple of weeks ago, was about courage, this week is about obedience. The phrase that I've had is courageous obedience. That's what the Lord has called us to. So today we are fast forwarding 45 years. We've had that moment of them looking in. They have been wandering around the desert for 45 years. We pick up the story in Joshua 14. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them. And we've got this moment where Caleb is talking to Joshua and he's reminding him of the promise that Moses made to them 45 years ago. 
Verse 6 of chapter 14. If you haven't got a Bible, it'll come up on the screen behind me. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Juniper, the Kenzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me? It's, it's like they're having this, this moment, Joshua and Caleb, this, just this little chat, like reminiscing. Do you remember what he said 45 years ago? That's the kind of tone. I can imagine, I'm reading this into the story, this isn't necessarily there, but Joshua looking at Caleb, he's like, how can I forget? How can I forget? How can I forget what Moses promised? Moses promised that you and me would inherit the land that we would go into the land. Verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. They had this communal meltdown as the people of God. Ah, we've seen the giants. We cannot go in. And they, it talks about them wailing all night. So just picture that for a moment. Okay, awesome. They, they, were, they were just terrified. They were absolute, and their faith deserted them. It went out of the window. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. It's that word wholeheartedly again. Three times we see that wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And it applies to me, when I think about wholeheartedness, it implies nothing being held back. All of me. Now then, verse 10, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Juniper, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Today's talk, I want to look at this subject of obedience. How by faith we can have obedience, and not just momentary obedience, but obedience over a lifetime. What does it look like to live with lifelong obedience? It's really funny because I've got a really different situation morning and evening going on here. I've, I've got a similar talk, but I'm coming in it from two different ends. If you think about it, this morning is definitely older. I'm going to be honest. We were... We weren't at the 85-year-old range, but I might more have been kind of your classic age. Do you know what I mean? So 32. So that, that kind of... fine it's that obvious I thought the lights must be unforgiving this evening uh, a little older than that maybe but so I was talking to a, an, an older people this evening I'm talking to a younger people who are very much in that earlier stages of life and so it's a really different dynamic but what are the foundations that we need to lay today to live a life of courageous obedience that's what I'm talking about I'm talking about foundations for the future I love the title of Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And then he goes on with a colon, which I've realized that what it was. My, my English was not great. Discipleship in an instant society. 
in an instant culture, we want everything immediately. So even as I'm speaking about long obedience in the same direction, some of you are like, that sounds so dull. Obedience, it's a big word, isn't it? But Caleb has got so much to teach us about wholehearted obedience. We don't want necessary long obedience in the same direction. We just want instant results. I just want to change now, God. I want the zap moment. I want you to zap me and change me. And the Lord's like, no, it's a process of sanctification. It's a process of being made holy, being moving, growing in our faith. But in his book, Eugene says this, for recognizing and resisting the stream of the world's ways, there are two biblical designations for people of faith, faith sorry, that are extremely useful, disciple and pilgrim. Disciple says we are people who spend our lives apprenticed to our master, Jesus Christ. We are in a growing, learning relationship always. A disciple is a learner, but not in the academic setting of a schoolroom, rather at the worksite of a craftsman. We do not acquire information about God, but skills in faith. I love that. If you've been part of our church for any length of time, particularly over the last two years, I would hope that you picked up on our discipleship strategy, live like Jesus. That's what we are about, about apprenticing to Jesus, becoming more like him. And then he goes on to talk about pilgrim, tells us we are a people who spend our lives going someplace, going to God, and whose path for getting there is the way Jesus Christ. We realise that this world is not my home and set out for the Father's house. Abraham, who went out, is our archetype. Jesus answering Thomas's question, Master, we've no idea where you're going. How do you expect us to know the road? Gives us directions. I am the road, also the truth, also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. So we have these two words, disciple and pilgrim. And I found that really helpful as we frame this. Eugene's a bit cleverer than me. That's the long explanation. I'm going to give you the James version of it. We need a vision for our whole life. We need a vision for our whole life. I love that Caleb's 85 in this passage. I think it, it, he's a tough old goat. That, that's how I imagine him. I imagine him as super wiry. It's like, you know, wiry people are super strong. It's not in the text, by the way, but that's how I imagine him. But he's spent... 40 years in the wilderness because of other people's mistakes and disobedience. But his faith hasn't dimmed. This is a man at the end of his life that you're sitting there going, I want to follow a person like you. I want to be like you. He's still saying the same things. He's full of courage. He's not winding down. He's not settling. He's getting ready to take on some giants. He's like, I'm as strong now as I was when I was younger. And you're sitting there thinking, really, Caleb, 85, are you really as strong as you were when you were 20? But he's like, no, I am. I'm going to take him on. The point is, he's waited most of his life for this moment. There's no fear. There's no stepping backwards. There is a pressing in and there's a pressing on. One thing that I've noticed in our culture is that people are often at their most radical when they're younger. So maybe teenagers, do you know what I mean, late teenagers particularly, kind of 17, 18, 19, or into your 20s, then what happens is life happens, <laughs> and responsibility, and then what happens is people gradually begin to settle for comfort over commission. It's easy, 
Sometimes it's easy to be radical in our faith when we've got less to lose. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, I've got no money. It doesn't really matter anyway. Do you know what I mean? All of these things. And then the more we begin to acquire, the more life goes on. It's like, oh, I ought to really do that job. I ought to settle down. I ought to do this. And then suddenly we begin to become framed in the world's ways. It's like it begins to kind of press in on us. And suddenly we're like, when did I stop living a radical life for the Lord? When did I stop living a life of courageous obedience? We should be like Caleb. How do we stay on fire for a whole life? And I think in order for this to happen, we have to have a vision for our life. What are the things that we have to put in? I actually mentioned this this morning, but one of my little daughters is here, not to point her out. But um, I had a conversation with her today, and I was like, what do you want to do when you're older? She's like, I don't really know, Dad. Uh, But it's really interesting how so often we ask the question about what are you going to do with your life, thinking in terms of work and job. It's like, what are you going to do rather than what do you want to put into your life? It's a slightly different question, isn't it? But jobs come and go. You know, we go through different stages and different seasons in life. But what is it to stand back and actually go, oh, do you know, I need a bigger vision for my life than just what am I going to do for the next five years? Often some of you will have been like, oh, do you know, I have a vision for the next six months or year or even three years. Okay, great. I think that's fantastic. What's your life vision? Big question, isn't it? You're like, whoa, I don't know. I thought about that. Is it a vision of becoming more generous, more servant-hearted, more courageous, more faithful as we move towards glory? Is that a vision for your life? A vision of becoming more like Jesus? Does your life speak that you're looking more like him every year? that I'm growing into glory, that you're taking greater steps of faith, that your life is becoming increasingly inspiring. Is that your vision? That in two years' time, you're like, actually, I want my life to be more inspiring. I want to have taken some enormous steps of faith for the Lord. Is it that our lives increasingly make less and less sense to the world? Because I think if we're truly, truly following the Lord, people should look at our life from externally and be like, that makes no sense. Well, it makes no sense to you, but I'm following a different master. I'm following somebody different. I'm following King Jesus. My life should look radically different from society around me. I am not trying to look like everybody else. I think that we should increasingly look different to the world in which we live. But unlike Caleb, we're not fighting a physical battle. We are fighting a mental one, one where the giants are very real. They're just very different. Louis Giglio talks about the giant of comfort. And that's why comfort is perhaps the scariest giant of them all, because it's so subtle in its deception. It's it's the giant that causes us to miss the very best because we've settled settled, for something good or even okay. I talked about it two weeks ago. I talked about safe slavery. And it's that idea where the people of God are looking back and they've reached this point and they're like, we should all go back to Egypt. That's the phrase that they look. If only we could go back to Egypt. You do remember for 400 years in Egypt, they were in slavery. But they were sitting there going, but at least it was safe in Egypt. Let's go back. Let's go back into slavery. 
It's like, whoa, how have they got to that point where they think that slavery is better than freedom? That's the point that they've got to. What God is doing is trying to help us see that there's a fight to be fought, a race to be run, something of eternal significance to be contended for. And he's calling us to greater purpose. In order to live like this, we need a vision for our whole lives. So what I've done is I've given three points that are my points of a vision for my life. They are not your points. <laughs> I'm not asking you to adopt my points. I'm asking you to hopefully not nick my homework before the Lord. Uh, no, but what I'm saying is I've done this and gone on that journey of, okay, so what do I think it is? What, what does a whole life, a vision for a whole life look like? And you might want to borrow some of them. The first one is this. I think that we need to remember that the point of our lives is the fame of Jesus. That's the point of our lives. We're made for him. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, brilliant book if, you, if you've never read it. I, I, I can't remember that much about it, but I can remember the first four words because I remember opening it and being like, Okay, that's deeply profound. I can, uh, I can probably shut it now. Four words. Is it four words? It's not about you. It's not about you. Like, what do you mean it's not about you? It's all about me. The Lord's like, it's not about you. That shift for a whole life vision where we say, my life is about Jesus' fame, is completely different to it's all about me. Rick Warren goes on. The rest of the quote's not as memorable, but I think it helps to explain it. So I'm going to tell you it anyway. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you are placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. It's all about him. It's all about him. That is what our lives are about. It's about him. It's about his fame. It's about his glory. That is what we are living for. When we come and we give our lives to the Lord, what happens in that salvation moment? We give our hearts and we say, I'm all in. You're the king. I'm going to live for you. That's why I'm sorry for the way that I've lived up till now. He's like, I'm going to give you a new life. The old has gone, the new is here. Walk in a new way. Walk in my way. Walk in my kingdom. It shifts. It's about his fame. It's about his glory. That's the first thing. Secondly, we need to remember that life is but a breath. It's but a breath. I've been reading this story realizing that I'm more like the middle-aged Caleb unfortunately. Do you know what I mean? That moment where I'm like, I'm reading about Caleb. I was like, oh, he's, he's about my age. <laughs> oh dear. I'm thinking, still I think like a teenager, but actually I'm more like that. But the danger for us is that we waste our days thinking I've got time. And for many of you, you've got years in front of you. But don't waste the next 10 years of your life or 20 years of your life being like, do you know what, when I reach that point, then I'm going to get serious about my faith and I'm going to go after it. It's like, no, what a waste. You're around people. You'll never be around probably more people than you are right now. 
It's like, do not waste your life. This life is but a breath. God is breaking into our story today. It's not, I'm going to wait. It's like, now, today, I'm going to take things seriously. I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to give him my yes. I'm going to walk in his ways. Life is short. Don't waste your days. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.26, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer beat in the air. I live with intentionality. I live for a purpose. I'm in a race. Life is but a breath. And then finally, for me, is that we need to remember that our inheritance is in heaven. This is not it. It's not it. This is the beginning. I'm living in the light of eternity. 1 Peter 3, 4 talks about this. And there's just this. He talks about the inheritance that we're going to enter into. He says, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's interesting, I had a bit of a battle with this passage. Um, For anybody who's ever preached, sometimes it's like a wrestle. (laughs) I spoke to Alice earlier in the week and she's like, how it's going on? I'm like, I'm in the wrestle. I'm in the wrestle with this passage. And I'll tell you why I was in the wrestle. Because this passage, sometimes with an Old Testament passage, it speaks into a specific situation. This is Caleb's life. This isn't James's life. And what sometimes we want to do is we want to take an Old Testament principle and we kind of want to go, whoop, bang. And this is exactly the same for all of us. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And da, 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 this was Caleb and now this is us. It's a little bit harder sometimes to do that. And so in this passage, it talks all about inheritance. And it talks about that Moses has given this word to Caleb and Joshua that they are going to inherit the land. And the the passage finishes in verse 12 by talking about Caleb taking the mountain. And so it talks all about inheritance. And I do believe that there is inheritance. It, It doesn't just await us in heaven. I believe that there is inheritance here and now, as in there are things that the Lord has for us as well. But we don't receive it all now. There's an inheritance waiting in heaven for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And that's the inheritance that we're talking about, that we can fix our eyes on. That one day I'm excited, you know, Revelation, the book of Revelation talks about it, that the lion's going to lay down with the lamb, that there's going to be no more tears, that there's going to be no more suffering. And I'm like, yeah. That's the inheritance that I'm talking about, that one day... I get to go to glory, and glory is to be with Jesus. And it's going to be beautiful. And that in this life, we do struggle. And in this life, sometimes it sucks. And in this life, sometimes it's really hard. And some of you might be there today, and it's like, oh, do you know what? It's really hard. I want to remind you that you have been given an inheritance in heaven that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And it's deeply, deeply beautiful that one day we get to be with the Lord. There's one last thing that I want to say. 
the, the quality that I see in this 85-year-old man that makes me go, yes, I want to be like you, is perseverance. I want you to imagine the moment they're, they're, they're all at the promised land. Caleb and Joshua have torn their clothes because they're so distraught that everybody is like, oh no, we're really scared. They're like, we've got to take the land. We've got to go over. Let's go. And everybody else is terrified. And so they, they make it known to the people. It's like, we, go, we want to go in. And, th- and the people go, no. That moment when they had to walk away from the promised land and they went into the desert for 40 years. Can you imagine that moment thinking, this is disobedience. This is walking away. It would have been so easy for Caleb to be bitter. I'm sure, I'm sure he was human and there was, he was probably livid. <laughs> he was probably angry. I'm sure there was anger. But what I see in Caleb is this perseverance to hold on to the Lord's promises. It's like, I know that the Lord has said this. And yes, it's not going to happen now. In fact, I'm going to have to wait 40 years for this to come about. This is the long obedience that I'm talking about. This is the long, a life of obedience that we get called into. So as I wrap up, Caleb, by faith, is a man of courage. As you go away from here, it's really easy to listen to a sermon. Be like, oh, that was nice. My encouragement is that you go away and think about what is my vision for my life. And it's a serious work because when we do that, we begin to build foundations for the rest of of our life. Like, let me give you an example. For instance, you're going to get probably, many of you are like, I'm really, really poor right now. Do you know what I mean? You know, generally when we're younger, we have less. So what happens is we go, do you know what? In 20 years, I'm going to start being a generous person. Just never happens. Generosity is something that we learn when we're younger, when we don't have very much. And then what happens is we get more and more generous. The danger is if we wait to do, I'm just giving you one example. You can take that to loads of different ways. I'm going to wait on that. It's like, no, start being a generous person now. And then when you have more, you think about your finances differently. You just, it's not yours. You're living like it's the Lord's. It's one example. Why don't we stand and I'm going to invite the Spirit. I'm going to invite Alice up to come and join me do some ministry.